0: The following is a conversation it has the features of any conversation such as imperfectly expressed thoughts ill-considered opinions and the notions of several sleep-deprived brains try not to get your stethoscope in a
1: twist about it research has revealed that if we extracted all of the cells in the immune system we would find that they are about 1.2 kilograms or 2.6 pounds roughly the size of six hamsters
2: six (laughs) hamsters
1: (laughs) that's what the article I read Thank God for non-standard measurement units. Like, uh, how could I have visualized 2.6 pounds? <laughs> Boy, that's a, that's an unfathomable number. <laughs> like I, no, they didn't have to translate that. No, not hamsters. at all. I feel like, I don't know. I like it, though. <laughs> so, like I said, the authors of the study did not choose that measure. I actually went <laughs> to the study, the, the article, and, like, oh, searched no. for hamsters. And there was zero mentions of hamsters. So it was just the journalist at sciencealert.com to whom I say, Claire Watson, thank you. Yeah. For taking an obscure, unfathomable measurement of two point six pounds. Bravo. Putting it into something that I could relate to. <laughs> wow. Some, somebody better make a hamsterconversion.net. There is a I did find out that there is a website out there that journalists go to find to use these non standard measures. So idiots it, really? like me have some standard of perspective to understand what these things are
0: so that's yeah, needed
3: so i, I think respected. my issue
1: with that is that
0: hamsters like aren't homogenous right so do you're, do you're yeah. introducing yeah. a significant amount of error yeah
1: <laughs> right doesn't matter though doesn't matter like, because you, uh, you at
0: least at the theory, base, because when you're you talking to qualify homogenous.
1: your hamster type yeah when you're talking to the general population <laughs> they're not thinking like but how much does that hamster weigh they're just like okay now i have a general idea so yeah. i get
2: it but also, it's also just fun. You just think about like, I don't know what the number was, six hamsters. That's you know, a lot of immune cells worth of hamsters running around in your body. That's one one the, pineapple also was, one the, pineapple. was the other one.
3: No sided. way Never. that one pineapple is the same way to six hamsters.
1: I mean, I can they're, they're not what size hamster. These are not. <laughs> cost- if, now, if your hamster <laughs>
3: size is one sixth out of, of a pineapple,
1: it's easy. Would you say that <laughs> six hamsters equals two burritos?
3: <clears throat> well, what's in the burrito
2: <laughs> <laughs> So you guys are. Cheesy. I don't know. Our <laughs> hamsters that heterogeneous. I feel like when I see like a chipmunk, they're all the same. Hey, you know, all the, also have like a Terry Crews sized hamster. <laughs> yeah, a myostatin deficient hamster. <laughs> Ooh, oh
3: boy. She's small.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Meandering in the margins of medicine. It's the Shortcoat podcast.
0: Weird news. Fresh views. Helpful clues and interviews.
3: By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com.
1: Welcome back to the Short Code Podcast, the show that gives you an inside look at medical school from the students drinking from that fire hose, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler with me today in the SCP studio, a group of decidedly non-standard people. For instance, to give you some perspective on her physical presence, she's about the same mass as 38 hamsters. It's M2- Hind Al Kalani.
3: We should actually try that out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I took know, a guess. I just, I
0: just want to say you said she was about 30 pounds there. I t- <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's about one human being tall. It's M2 Eric Vallon. Hello. Uh, he occupies about the same volume as 68 trillion human cells and bacteria. It's M4 Alex Spelzer. Howdy. Welcome to the show. I've, Alex, you've been interviewing for residency programs. Yeah. yeah. Did we try to teach you anything? About what those interviewers might be looking for, and how you can show them that you have what you're looking for. Did we do any of that for you? By, by we do you mean the you? College of Medicine? The College, uh, yeah. They sent me some emails.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, that's all I got. What do the- they? Do you remember what was in those emails? Did they talk about no? What you what qualities you should be projecting?
0: They send a lot of links to like those garbage AMC articles. Did you? You know what I'm talking about? The yeah. ones that are like, the three things that your residency interviews are looking for. And it's like passion. You're looking for passion. <laughs> and you being confident, but not overconfident. And also expressing interest. So it's like incredibly vague things. The same thing uh-huh. as yeah. passion too. Yeah. No, for sure. <laughs>
3: for sure. <laughs> like That's things. what I'm saying. It's like,
0: yeah. So yes, but no. Okay. I'm going to say.
1: I will say, I did like the article that you sent us, though. Well, I, I was going to talk about that article. Medpagetoday.com uh, posted an article from a assistant professor of anesthesia and critical care and a medical student at the University of Chicago on the four traits of all-star residents. And I thought those four traits would be kind of fun to, to bat around as, like, you know, we, we can sort of debate them or add to them as we might. So the traits are selflessness... <laughs> optimism personal responsibility and ownership and personal meaning so we'll define each of those selflessness is residents they want residents that demonstrate selflessness by putting personal wants aside to help others which requires emotional intelligence and perspective taking Uh, it's not a formally taught thing but it can be learned and honed they say optimism is a choice that you make especially in the face of inherent difficulties of medical practice a growth mindset facilitates optimism and viewing challenges as opportunities for improvement. Personal responsibility and ownership. Taking ownership of all patient results, good or bad, um, to build intrinsic value in one's work. This is a sign of maturity and humility, acknowledging one's role and outcomes rather than defaulting to blame. And personal meaning, reflecting on the deeper reasons for practicing medicine Um, Which the authors think can help sustain doctors through tough times, providing motivation and resilience. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: The only one, I I mean, I personally that all that sounds good. The only one I would, you know, personally caution is the selflessness one. I I think having some sense of what you need as a human being in this world. Is kind of important, but I get what they're saying. You know, they're not saying absolute selflessness. There, in fact, I think, I think there was a caveat in that
2: article. Like, there was. Yeah, I like the perspective taking, though. I thought that was cool. Like seeing other people's scenarios and being able to recognize if other people are, you know, in need.
1: Yeah. I mean that's obviously like super important. Yeah, when you're trying to help people, is you know what do they need help with
2: mm-hmm.
1: on a basic on a super basic level.
2: Yeah. yeah I would just think that you know residency is probably extremely trying and it, it does take more out of you to you know take into consideration other people's perspectives when your perspective is exhausted and you know sleep deprived and stressed out etc Yeah,
1: have a little extra something a little little extra emphasis on being able to take those perspectives that aren't yours yeah um <clears throat>
3: I also think that being selfless or like bless you thanks (laughs) or being able to start
1: again because i'm i the sneeze blew what you were saying right okay (laughs) sorry
3: okay no you're fine let's try to remember what the (laughs) hell i was saying um i think no it's okay i think oh yeah okay being selfless in the way that they described in the article of like yeah taking like looking at someone else's perspective like trying to see trying to step in your colleague's shoes and be like okay like My colleague looks like really stressed right now. I wonder if there's a way that I can help out. I feel like the only way that would be healthy in like a three year or four year long program where you're also exhausted is if your co-residents are also selfless. and are able to pick up for you and that's out of your control. So like you can't really control everyone else's personality. So, Well,
1: I would hope that your residency program, if this is what they really value, your residency program, Would have been building these teams over time to the point Mm -hmm. where once you got involved, you could be reasonably assured that most of your other colleagues are similarly minded. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This is one of those cultural development things. Yeah. It's something that they like not Carver specifically, but if you like look online and people are like passing down knowledge about what to look for when you're interviewing for residency. One of the big things is, like, is the culture positive? Is the culture toxic? How would you fit into that culture? Do the residents support each other? Do the program directors and associate program directors support you? Do the third-year residents look like they're dead? How oh, dead? Yeah, <laughs> sure, yeah. How dead are you inside? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think it's really... I don't know, relatively easy to like put on a face in an interview and Mm -hmm. say that you're going to do this. Mm -hmm. But honestly, I think it comes more from the culture of the program. Yeah, you may very well want themselves.
2: Yeah. Like I got good vibes from Carver. That's why I came here. It was good vibes. Yeah.
1: You might very well want those things, want to be those things. But, you know, when you get there and you realize nobody else is doing those things. (laughs) Got
2: to save yourself at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I like the optimism
1: thing. I feel like, personally, I'm a bit of a pessimist. <laughs> um, you know, like I've been feeling super competent at work lately.
0: Hell yeah, dude! That,
1: that shit's gonna end any minute. <clears throat> that's what I'm. Th- that's what I end up thinking sometimes. Like, I, at some point, I'm gonna make some mistake that will just put all of that into question for me.
3: That's <laughs> just an unhealthy thinking pattern. I'm aware of that
1: but optimism is a as a choice, I guess I'm not making the right choice sometimes I am, but you know whatever Is it a choice Dave? I don't know a growth it? mindset yeah like would not it be do okay so mm. when you make a mistake um you know for you guys when you do when you do poorly on a test or i don't know when your research when you f- up your research or Oof. when you you know alex. When you say something during rounds that you wish you could take it back. Do you really look at those as like, oh, this is a, this is a chat. This is an opportunity for improvement. Yeah, I do. Do you? Yeah. It took like a lot of like doom
0: spiraling in the first couple months of core year. But after, once you, I don't know, I've been thinking a lot about failure recently Yeah, and there's I don't know. There's like diff- there's like a continuum of failures, right? There's sure. like the oh, I said something stupid in rounds. And then there's yeah. like the I failed a test, and then there's like, hey, I did a bad professionalism violation and got kicked out of school. So, there's like all these continuums of failures. And I feel like the biggest thing that I picked up in clinical clerkships was raising my threshold for considering a failure, a failure. Okay. Um and below that threshold, I see it as a work in progress, learning. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you and there's
1: opportunities every day to learn. Your perspective changed over time, absolutely, as to what was a failure and what yeah. was just.
0: A and maybe that's this growth mindset you speak of.
1: I would and this yeah. relentless optimism. Well, what? <laughs> I hope it's not relentless. People, people who are relentlessly optimistic, I just want to punch in the throat. But that's fair. Hmm.
3: What do you do? You have any like specific moments that you remember in courier that kind of helped you shift towards a, a growth mindset? Or, like, change your perspective?
0: Uh, yeah. So, I was on the transplant rotation, the transplant surgery rotation, and the transplant fellow, she was, I forget what her name is, but she was like five feet flat tall. And she was like a board certified transplant surgeon in India before restarting residency in the United States. Oh, man. It's one of those where she's like exceedingly overqualified to be here, uh, but she's got to go through this process again. And so, she was a fellow and she asked me what one of the anti-rejection meds like what the mechanism was and how that affected like their t-cells or whatever and i was like i don't know like i have no. i've literally <laughs> yeah. never thought about this before and she was like every time you come into that situation you just need to look it up Aww. and learn from it and she was like go look it up report back to me in 10 minutes and so i did and i was like oh my gosh i'm growing
1: yeah. <laughs> I'm in the mindset of growth right now. So yeah. That one stands awesome. out to me. Yeah. yeah, you could have been like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. I'll never recover from that embarrassment. But, but I don't truth- think that's... I, I, my guess is probably if you've lasted long enough in med school, you're, mm-hmm. you've are you got that probably down by yeah. the time you get oh, to this stage. Of you, you, you were ready for that. You were ready for that knowledge. You were never going to be like... Res- you were never going to resist that knowledge.
2: Yeah.
0: Sure.
1: sure.
3: Yeah, I, I can see where like... The environment you're in plays a huge role. If that doctor was just like, why don't you know this? Like, that yeah.
0: Point, yeah. yeah, Well, I've definitely had situations like that before where they were like, you should know this.
3: Yeah.
0: Oh, I actually, on my emergency medicine rotation, they asked, I was getting pimped, like, it was like midnight. And I was getting pimped on, like, anti-platelet medication activities. I was like, I'll be honest, I don't know any of this. And she was like, you're a third-year med student. You should know this. <laughs> <And> I'm like... <laughs> okay i'm sorry she was like look it up and i was like i'm gonna be honest i don't want to look it up (laughs) so like i don't know maybe it was midnight and i was just tired and at the end of your rope (laughs) yeah so yeah the environment really matters yeah and that comes back to this like culture of the program thing right like i think different specialties are better at this than others different areas of the country are better than this than others yeah yeah it's important
2: and there's going to be a lot of failures too that reminds me of like I'm glad that, you know, selfishly in that moment, you didn't know those anti-platelets because we just learned those and I know them now, but I'm going to forget them in a couple months again. Yeah. And everything is just difficult and there's so much information that you're constantly going to forget it. And I
1: think this is why we don't turn you, turn you into doctors right after Keystone is over because oh, <laughs> a
3: billion percent. You know, oh like, my God, it's
2: so bad. You
1: have to have time to come back to these things and
2: yeah. Apply them a million times before you fully understand. Yeah. Well, and the truth is, like six months after that, on my internal medicine rotation,
0: I ended up pimping one of the critical care attendings about antiplatelet medications nice. because I had like gone home and I looked up like the the keystone like like trials that had happened with these antiplatelet medications and looked up all their mechanisms and pharmacodynamics. Hang on, you 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 can pimp your attendings. Yeah, I mean, this was like a kind of a stretch situation. Yeah, I mean, he had pimp me first, and then it like completed, and then he was talking, and then he like made a mistake, and I was like, wait, 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 wait. as wait. you well, should, bro. Yeah yeah, reverse, yeah, yeah, like? yeah. I love that. So yeah, I mean, you stick with it. You see these things five times, and then you're like, huh, I get it now. Yeah,
2: yeah. Mm. So there's there's a final a moment process. when it is kind of lost in your cortex. Moment, okay, got to keep going back. Yep. 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 Yeah. I've heard surgeons like will review the anatomy before a surgery they've done, you know, mm. even in private practice and later on.
1: Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Personal responsibility and ownership. So this one's, I mean, it's, it sounds reasonable taking ownership of all patient results, good or bad. And yeah, I th- but, 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 uh,
2: Sometimes I really these like things are out one. of your control a little bit, but there are always things that you can do to have made the situation probably a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I feel like I've learned this through like team sports and I actually just made a mistake. We had a real patient interview this week. I don't know if you had yours. no um, we had our PBCR where we go into the hospital and we interview a real patient and there were a lot of things that were outside of my control. And at first I attributed me getting a bad history to those things. And the person that I was with, who I was taking the history with, immediately like self-reflected and been like, oh, well, we could have done the ROS this way. And I was like, wait, you're right. That would have actually made it so much better. And so I kind of learned from him. And then reading this article, I was like, wow, I could have taken more responsibility and I would have learned a lot more from that.
1: But also what's interesting about that story is that your colleague... Mm-hmm. classmate yeah classmate your mm-hmm. classmate was was basically not only doing this for the, for themselves but also giving you that opportunity to figure it out too like yeah basically telling you like oh this is what i just thought of you know maybe we should that's super cool mm-hmm.
3: i feel like that's a at least like we at least with our class like we try to share as much knowledge as we can with each other yeah um which is good yeah. and
1: you know you're going to keep doing that in residency right like I think you're going to keep doing that throughout your career. I mean, that's why we that's why you guys write articles. That's why you guys have conferences. That's why, you know, and you're going to be, you know, teaching each other as long as you're doing this job,
2: which is an amazing part. Like we had our ECEs the other day and just rounding with the team and just being in like the room before rounds and the whole team environment and just like I don't know how collegial people were, and the teamwork was so cool. I was like, "This is the right spot." Damn, this
0: guy's gonna wow. switch to internal medicine.
2: <laughs> no, it was actually a surgery ro- Yeah, rounds. Really? Yeah. I'm um, glad yours was went like on. that.
3: Mine was like not like that. <laughs> 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 it was so it was so weird. I was like, <clears throat> I don't want to do this for a year. It was. I don't know. It was very. It was very linear in that every trainee just talked to the attending, and okay. that was it. It was yeah. like transactional between each one. And then, at the end I was like following the med student who I was shadowing and at the end like the senior like members of the team just walked off and like they didn't say anything they just walked off and I turned to the med student I'm like okay and he was like oh yeah they're like going to a conference or something we don't need to be here anymore and
2: that, happened, like, you know, that happened to no, mine too really? yeah the <laughs> attendings completely just walked off and then we went a different way without saying anything yeah, I,
3: was, I was like Okay. I guess
2: that's I guess normal. They're busy. Yeah, it's not uncommon. I don't yeah.
3: think. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Honestly. They're just like, all
0: right, we're done. Bye. Yeah. yeah. At least it's you marked you mom. Yeah. yeah. I guess call me. Call me if anybody's dying.
2: Yeah.
1: I guess that's efficient.
3: Why? Why waste
1: time on pleasantries like?
3: Exactly. Thank you
1: very much for coming. I appreciate all of your hard work today. Yeah. Boy, I think we learned a few things today, and I really love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Aww. I want to round with Dave. That was- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I also Uh, think
2: one of the things
1: that I also think that one of the things that goes along with personal responsibility and ownership is, and you've already sort of touched on this a little bit, is self-reflection is being able to being, I think, oriented towards looking back at yourself and going, okay, am I doing this right? Am I, and constantly sort of doing that, not in a, I don't think it's a good idea to do that in a negative, in a super negative way, obviously, but. You have to be self-evaluative. I, the most annoying people to work with are people who don't understand how they're how they have contributed to anything. Hmm. I mean, that's just super annoying. Yeah, you can't learn. You can't. You never. Yeah, you'll that person will never learn anything. I think.
3: Even if they're good at what they do, like, yeah, yeah,
1: it's ugh, it's the worst.
3: I think a big part of that would be. Yeah, finding a healthy way to separate your actions from your worth and your identity, mm-hmm. and like, I, and I feel like that's probably really difficult in a healthcare setting where like people's health rests in your decisions. But to be like, okay, like I did this one thing wrong, or I could have done it better. That doesn't make me a terrible person or a stupid person. It's just something that I can improve on. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think that's why a lot of residents and attending physicians and medical students get burnt out Mm. is because they see the consequences of their actions or the possible consequences of their terrible proposed actions, and then they take it very personally. They're not able to separate that from their self-worth, and then it ends up in a downward spiral. Yeah. Sounds fun. I think that's a very common thing. And that's why successful residents have this sort of, I don't know, growth mindset Mm. that they're taking responsibility for the things they should be taking responsibility for, but also being able to be self-aware about their mistakes and move on from them.
2: Yeah. I think another kind of aspect, another side of the coin is like how much you bury yourself into it. I think it's a job where you can fully dedicate your life to. But, you know, in my opinion, it's good to have things outside of that. So, you know, you're not constantly perseverating and, you know, keep bringing work home to you. I think that's another really important part. At least it will be for me.
1: Shortcodes. If this episode is worth listening to this far, it's worth sharing. So blast us on your socials, and if you want a sticker for your trouble, send us a screenshot. Thanks.
3: Yeah, actually, I wanted to ask you guys what you thought about that while reading this article. There was like a part in it that said
2: part of your identity.
3: Yeah, medicine is not a nine-to-five job this is who you are what do yeah and, think I about have, and i have
1: and i have interesting we've we've had conversations in the past on this show about you know is it possible to do medicine and not have it be like your calling
2: i think yeah i think so too it, it totally is it's a job right yeah and it's an awesome and badass job but at the end of the day if you wanted to do Botox and you know lip fillers or whatever you wanted to do and just do a nine to five i think that's chill
1: You think, are you implying that lip fillers and Botox are not an essential
2: part of
1: humanity? No, trust me, they are. (laughs) Okay. They are now.
0: (laughs) I mean, I, I will say that I think the most successful doctors that I've seen, and usually the happiest doctors I've seen, too, have medicine as their calling and their thing that they do, but at the same time, they have a life outside of medicine, too. It's just mm-hmm. that these aren't perfectly compartmentalized. I think th- that the best situations that I've seen are when people, I guess doctors, have medicine as a part of who they are and part of their identity, but it's not their whole identity. Mm. They, they have friends outside of medicine. They do exercise outside of medicine. They hobbies. have carefree time. Yeah, yeah, hobbies.
2: Yeah. I like that take.
0: Yeah, because then I, I think that a lot of medicine, at least on the clinical side, is being able to connect with people on a human level and be genuine about it. And I think Absolutely. it's hard to do that if you don't identify as a doctor.
2: Yeah, the people aspect. And obviously, that's really important in care. Health is very important to everybody. And I would agree. We're sort of edging into the personal
1: meaning quality that was identified in this article, reflecting on deeper reasons for practicing medicine can help sustain you through tough times. I mean, it's, I guess they're saying it's not enough to just want to help people, but a deeper meaning than that, I'm not really sure where that goes. I don't, I like, guess, I guess, you know, like causes, you know, having causes that you believe in that relate to your practice of medicine. I'm not really sure maybe where that, true passion. But mm. I, I still, I'm still not quite sure what that means. I that mean, way. I, th- I, I kind of want
0: to abstract like the really cool parts of medicine in this instance, right? Like there's the thing, shit happens in the body and it's f- crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's the, oh my gosh, I just connected with a stranger and like helped them solve something even though we had no relationship before this. I think there's the, oh my gosh, I'm helping like a population grow and be better. And, there's also just the amalgam of weird things and weird situations that you can find yourself in a clinical setting where you have totally different perspectives on the way people live their lives, and I think that, uh, you can, uh, people find different meaning in whatever different situation they're in medicine. I mean, no doctor has the same job as another doctor, really, but it it, it I don't know. It's almost hard to explain, hard to put into words but there is like a meaning that you can find in what you do regardless
1: of what you're doing. And part of that is a mindset that you take into it. But I have personally found that I have more meaning in doing this job because of this show and because it enabled me to get a greater connection, a bigger, a broader connection to what you guys were doing and why I was here. And maybe that's a similar idea. Like, it's not just, you know, being on the internet and talking, and telling people about this. It's also my, the connection, the, the really deep part of it, I think for me is connecting back with you guys and really understanding why I'm here and what I'm doing. And maybe that's similar to what you're talking about.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's unique. It sounds like in every case.
0: Yeah. And, and, and like I said, I think different doctors find different meaning in the things that they do.
2: Right. Whether
0: it be closing somebody's face up after doing their throat surgery or, yeah. or whatever, just saying hi to a patient and having them smile when they look back at you. it's There's a lot of little things. There's a lot of big things. And I think being able to figure out what means a lot to you is mm-hmm. really important in, be, in making a successful practice and being a good resident and
2: doctor. Absolutely.
3: It, not to be... <laughs> um,
2: Do it. It, it just <laughs>
3: sounds like any other job you could have though like if you i mean like in the sense that you can bring you can find things that bring joy to you in that job like i don't know let's say you just really love banking or like you helped someone set up their mortgage or something like you can find. Yeah, you help
2: them get the American Dream, you know.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I'm I have banker sure that friends. I don't know
2: how passionate they are about banking. <laughs> really? Yeah, I know some bankers too.
3: I mean, it's going like, to be some yeah, passionate
2: yeah, banker. Uh, like, like, I doesn't am
3: does not have to be <clears throat> banking?
1: <clears throat> bad example. Yeah, that was, a t-
3: that was kind of a terrible example. <laughs> I don't know anything. I am Maybe. so
1: excited to get you this APY today. Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> or, I like. I feel like. It, like it sounds like it's not being a doctor itself it's the connections you get with yeah. patients or you know, the, the ways that you help them or like reaching out to students like it, it sounds like more of part of your like for example Dave in your case it's part of your personality that you want to connect with the students and learn from them like mm-hmm. if it, it your personality could have just as easily been like okay I'm here to do my stuff and get I, out and I
1: yeah so surely I you know we all work with people like that like and that's I guess that's fine you know like I'm not yeah. going to judge them for that you know Yes. It's just what I get out of it is
3: yes. I it's want great. it to be more than that. It's great and it's healthy and like applying that to residents. Like I feel like ideally every resident would find that joy in it. But if they don't and they are here for a nine to five, uh, but as long as they're doing their job safely and putting patients first and like being ethical, like I feel like you can do that too. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what I'd I was agree. trying
3: to get. No, at
0: and I, I I wholeheartedly agree with you that. This isn't something that's unique to medicine.
3: Yeah.
1: I think it's unique to a successful life. So I guess the, what field you're in purpose. Yes.
3: Purpose. Enjoyment.
1: So I guess one of the questions I have is how do you. OK, great. We've decided that these are wonderful. And and by the way, no, notice one thing that's not on this editorial's list of important traits is
3: Honest, Honesty. Yeah.
1: Working hard. <laughs> Dig deep. Uh, OK. Yes, there was that perseverance, the, but also just like intelligence science. Medical knowledge. Like, I th- I think it's probably tempting when you go into thinking about your residency interviews. is like proving that you have the knowledge necessary to do this job.
2: That's probably Absolutely the opposite of, of what you want to do.
1: Yeah. Nobody ever asks you about. I mean,
0: I'm not going to say nobody, but pretty much every interview I've had has been a conversation about like non-standardized things. Mm -hmm. It's been all like, oh, I see you're a musician and I see you like running and like, why did you like this research project? It's,
1: there's like no medical knowledge, at least in my interviews for internal medicine. I think that's probably pretty common. Yeah. I mean, they're aware of your board scores. They're aware of your grades. They're, you know, they're aware that your medical school is, um, accredited, <laughs> accredited, which means that you cover a certain number of topics and you're supposed to, you know, your medical school does its work to determine that you are competent in those things. Mm-hmm. So they can pretty much take those things off the table and mm-hmm. maybe have a more interesting conversation with you. Yeah.
2: Um, you're I working if, with if, them for four to five years. So three mm-hmm. to five years, they got to make sure that they want to spend time with you. Yeah.
0: It's easier to teach a really cool person how to do medicine than to make a really medically intelligent person a cool person.
1: Yeah. So, so how do you... That's deep. <laughs> how, do you, how do you get these concepts of selflessness, optimism, personal responsibility, ownership, and personal meaning across during these interviews when they're talking to you about running or...
2: I think being yourself, right? Yeah. It's kind of like medical school interviews. It's be yourself. And I think that... Likes attract in that sense. And what's meant to be will be.
0: Yeah. I think there's the biggest thing personally for me that allowed me to what I think was show these things in my residency interviews was like finding some comfort, being comfortable, opening up to these people, not being afraid to smile, look them in the face, use my hands to talk mm-hmm. to being a person. Yeah.
3: I would maybe s- also your evals.
1: <laughs> Explain
3: like isn't that part of your application? Like your it, it is, uh,
1: but I
3: Not really? It
1: is. You when you we write an MSPE, you've seen yeah. your MSPE, Alex. Yep. A lot of the comments in there are very positive, I'm mm-hmm. certain. Mm-hmm. And I'm certain of this because they almost all are. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very rare for an evaluation to be like this person sucks, do not hire. Yeah. And actually, like the yeah, they slipped the, through the cracks. If yeah. They got to that point where you know we're doing it wrong. Yeah. The other side of that is that if everybody's
0: are pretty much all good, and all of these subjective things are like, oh my gosh, this is one of the best students I've worked with. Pretty much everybody has a com- comment like that in their MSPE, and so yeah. it, it really doesn't mean much of
1: anything at all. Yeah. It's just like a red flag if you don't have these things. What's I would saying? say. From the ones that I see, as I write these MSPs, there are some kind of meh observations, some mid in the vernacular of the young people. <laughs> Heck yeah, some Dave. mid comments, you know, that you're like, okay, these are bare minimum. Like, okay, this is cool. And then there are the extra comments that you're like, okay, I understand this person is doing a little bit more than this, but you're right. Like, most of the time they're pretty standard.
2: Yeah. Interesting. So one of my friends just talked to um, the, I don't even know what you call it, but he talked to the head of the department at ENT for like admissions. Like the PD program director? Um, No, it wasn't PD, it was Scott. The uh, facial plastics ENT otolaryngologist guy. I think he's new, but... He talked with him and just talked about all the things that really matter for residencies. And apparently away rotations are extremely important in some specialties In some specialties. Yeah. So I guess at least for ENT, like doing a sub internship and spending time there is extremely important. Mm -hmm. And then he said, like, obviously your letters and research are super important, but I think it's more the less of like, who are your letters from rather than what they say.
3: I hope that's not true.
2: That's a it's a <laughs> terribly difficult thing
0: to actually make an assertion about yeah. because it matters more between different people and in different specialties. Maybe that matters more in ENT. I don't know. Yeah, some specialties but are I, very I mean, small,
1: and right, and maybe this is an example of relatively speaking. You know, there's yeah, not and, that many ENT plastics. Right, people versus family medicine, but yeah. the ENT
2: it, program is is great here. So if you get mm-hmm. a letter from an ENT guy here, it's like ENT guy or girl. It's they like, very well. it's like it's I trust I trust these people. Yeah. yeah,
0: but in IM, they told us explicitly before we even asked for letters, they were like, "Pick somebody that you've worked closely with mm-hmm. who can speak really well about you and make it personal." And they told us specifically, like, "Don't ask somebody for a letter because of their name." Sure, mm-hmm. because a mid letter from a great person. Is so much better than a fantastic letter from, I don't know, somebody who knows you well. Yeah, uh, or do
1: you the, the, opposite, the opposite. I know what you're yeah. saying.
0: Yeah, I would agree.
1: Uh, I I would say that one of the ways that you can be strategic about exhibiting these values or these qualities is in the questions that you ask hmm. during your interviews. There's always that you know. So, do you have any questions for me? What was your experience with that yeah no that's a significant part
0: of interviews it's a it's on the one hand it's a litmus test for how thoughtful are you Mm -hmm. it's a how much interest have you actually shown in this program like how much do you know about our program and it's also an opportunity for you to actually ask a question about something you're curious about and it's I, i think kind of at its very deep core it's a conversation starter it's a way that you can go outside and break out of the structured interview session to show how well you are interpersonally and i hate that it actually has to be that when it's just you asking questions you know but so the way i kind of thought about it was how can i connect with the interviewer how can i um i don't know Rise them up is what I was literally saying. Yeah, how do you saying. pull on the heartstrings? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what I would do is I would look up the interviewer before the interview. I would find out where they're from, and then I would like, I hope they're not listening to this right now, <laughs> <laughs> about my formulaic approach to this. But I would like ask them about their background, ask them how their transition was to the place. I would always ask like culture questions because mm-hmm. I feel like those are so much more important than asking like, how's your call schedule like?
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah. And so I don't know. It's trying to get to know them as a person. Right. Because that's what you really well, care when about. you're when you're mm-hmm. asking about culture, you're asking about some of these things. Right. You're mm-hmm. asking, you know, like, are you do you you know, can I expect to feel the support of my colleagues? Yeah, Um precisely. You know, like what do you what how when a resident makes a mistake? How is that dealt with?
3: How would you ask that?
1: Well, I don't... What do you mean? You, you
0: like pretty much ask that like with... straight up. Yeah, yeah, I mean... I think that's appropriate. I, I, think, yeah. Yeah, I would hope... That was actually a pretty common question asked in like the residencies, resident socials mm. is they'd be like, how do you attendings like respond to you as a learner?
1: Yeah. Super Absolutely. important question. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, they ask that just straight up explicitly. Okay. That's
1: super it's, important. A good, it's a good point that I think you're making... Um, which is that you know some of these questions you would choose where to ask them. Yes, yeah. okay,
3: so context matters.
1: Yeah, like I hadn't thought of that, but it makes a lot of sense that you might not ask that particular question during the interview portion, but you might ask it of, you know, yeah, the other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, I would assume that there is some feedback from these more social, Activities what do you mean to, to the that? to the interview to the actual formal interview part of the process. Like otherwise, why would they? The, I guess it's to give you some idea of the culture. Yes, there is or... a
0: disclosure made at almost all of these
1: resident socials. That is,
0: this does not affect your oh, okay. ranking at all. Oh, okay. oh really? we don't. They're always like, we were not paid by the residency program. They like bought us food and told us to get on this video call, but this question session does not affect your ranking okay so it's really like you to get a good litmus test of the
1: program okay all right
0: now when you're in an interview and they're like do you have any questions for me when the program director says that to you i mean you better have some things like lined up in your back pocket yeah no i'm I'm good
2: good. yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah.
3: Yeah. (laughs) that's
1: yeah I got something else to do.
2: Well,
3: okay. So I think, so maybe
1: you could ask that question like literally during your interview session, then. If that's, yeah. And my feeling is that if they were like, oh, this is off putting, then you probably don't want to work there anyway. Yeah. Okay. I guess it
3: shows maturity, right? To be like, hey, this is going to happen to me. I am going to make, I am going to make a mistake how are you going to work with me with it? And
0: all the program directors that I talked to emphasize that you should be asking difficult questions to the program directors. If Mm. you have a legitimate concern about how you're going to survive there as a resident, like you should ask that. Now, you should be tactful about it, no doubt. But I think it's perfectly acceptable to ask the residency program director, how do you help residents that are struggling? I think that's a pretty common question that people ask. and it's important, right? Because residency is not going to be a fully successful growth mindset process you're going to have some setbacks and you're going to have to ask the program director for help at some point um and getting a sense for how they're going to approach that situation is very important in figuring
2: out where you want to go i'm glad we have an m4 here yeah you have a lot of insight happy to be here yeah you have a lot more experience than we we do a tough conversation (laughs) with just two m2s and oh man
1: (laughs) well you made it to the second break you tolerate us If you can, consider donating or buying a sticker or something. Visit theshortcoat.com and help us do stuff without having to beg a dean for money. Thanks. Another reason these traits are important, especially if you're an emergency medicine doc, is because there are real reasons that your job might be super difficult. It might at times suck. And I'm not talking about paperwork, not talking about the the actual medicine, or even annoying coworkers. I wanted to show you a recent video from the new york times that yeah i just want to show you this video hang on.
0: where do we
2: where do we look oh there this is fancy and then she came across the room and cupped my head and punched me
3: five or six times and she'd eat me in the face and knock me out and when i came to my co-worker was dragging me across the floor of the ED away from her because she was trying to do it again. I got into emergency medicine because I wanted to care for people, but I didn't go into emergency medicine to watch my colleagues get stabbed by a patient with kitchen shears.
1: Violence has become a daily occurrence in our hospitals.
0: I was knocked unconscious by a patient. Patients have tried to stab me. Patients have spit on me. Clawed, bitten. I took punches to the face. Hit me in the left side of
1: my face. One of my nursing colleagues was beaten about the face with a plastic lunch tray. Punched, kicked, spit on. All of this is piling
2: emotional, physical, and psychological trauma on people who are already under intense strain. Uh, I've personally suffered PTSD from an attack,
0: and it's pushing our EDs to a breaking point. Violence in our department doesn't just affect
1: our staff. It's pretty hard to provide quality patient care when you're stitching up your colleague's face.
0: I could tell patients one thing to remember when interacting with healthcare
1: providers, it's that we are people and we are here to help.
3: We're humans too. I am here to care for you, not to be your punching bag.
2: That's crazy.
1: Yeah, I think we can all get behind that message of ending healthcare violence. I
2: don't know. What are your initial reactions to that? I mean, I, I know it's kind of a heavy thing to drop on you. My after. knee-jerk reaction is like, "Oh man, people are now beating up healthcare care workers for helping them out. Like, where are we as a society? We're going down the tubes. Let's move to Mexico." What?
3: What, what, what surprised me was the when it said that violence has been rising. I don't know. I just, when I was watching it, I just assumed like, okay, this has been happening forever. And now someone's saying this needs to stop. But that's interesting that it's rising. Mm-hmm. Well, Why? Yeah.
0: So, I mean, especially in the context of violence overall in society has been precipitously declining over the last 300 years.
3: Exactly. There is
0: no reason that comes to my mind immediately that's like at the
2: root cause of this. Dare because, I say like, mental illness and COVID and, you know, drug abuse and lockdowns. Yeah, I I think there's been a lot of, I think it would be a
1: mistake to ignore the stressors of modern life. um, Mm.
2: Things have been stressful in the past five years. Which have
1: been changing, right? And, you know, COVID was certainly one of those areas where, you know, people suddenly started expressing their skepticism about the knowledge that doctors were trying to drop on their patients. That's true.
2: It does seem to be... I don't know why respect. that leads...
1: I don't know why it leads specifically to to violence, but I guess mm-hmm. it could increase the chances of that happening. Yeah.
0: It also says it's been rising over the last decade. So
1: this isn't isolated to COVID
0: either. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, that is a good point. I don't... I Yeah. I, it, it feels like there's... They're alluding to a dehumanization that's happening. They're, I'm a human who's trying to help you. Why are you hitting me? Why?
1: Why, are, why don't patients see providers as... Human. i found myself thinking about what happens when you try to rescue a hurt animal mm-hmm. which is that they fight back mm. because they because may, perhaps in the extremity of their pain or whatever they're irrational so maybe that's part of it
2: that's as of a me. philosophical point i feel like and you know I may be completely wrong. I don't know a whole lot about medicine. I'm a second year medical student. All I do is bury my head in books all day. So take it with a grain of salt. But when I talk with people who, you know, aren't involved in the profession, my family's in the profession. And when I'm at like social gatherings or I've listened into other conversations about, you know, people that are talking about their doctor visits and are talking about something they got diagnosed with, et cetera. It just seems like there's not a whole lot of humanization that's going on with the doctor. Like, Oh, they made a mistake. Oh, they, you know, got my echo backwards. You know, I want to sue that guy or, you know, they said that I should stop doing this activity. And it just seems like, yeah, I don't know. There's almost a distrust. There seems to be. Oh, for sure. There's a, in a healthcare system that seeks to, profit off of yeah. caring for
0: people rather than seeks to care for people in the best way possible. I suppose that's sort of an inevitable conclusion that we come to. Sure. I mean, they do, they've actually, I can't remember exactly what the data was, like the exact details of it, but there's they've studied this and the conclusion is that the people who are more likely to get sued, it's not because they're practicing worse medicine, it's because they have less of a connection with their... Doctors, less communication. Um, Um, Yeah, and so maybe this could be a manifestation of that where there is this decline in connection between the patient and the doctor and it's ending in dehumanization and violence.
1: I I won't say that violence doesn't happen in other specialties, but this particular video is talking about emergency medicine. I don't know how much connection you can build under those circumstances, Um, but I can see how your manner as a provider might get in the way of whatever you can build. But that's blaming the vic that's blaming in one of the victims of this situation. So mm-hmm. I don't want to go too far with that. I actually
0: I actually can connect
1: those. Okay. So
0: if you look at um primary care utilization, which is the place where you're most likely to have a long term connection mm-hmm. with your medical care team That has been relatively declining and the utilization of emergency care has been increasing and with increased stress on the emergency medicine system, whether that be from private equity taking over emergency medicine practices and pushing them to see more and more patients and connect with them less and
1: less. I guess that's there. we're feeding into my connection. Yeah, it's also just inherently difficult to be in the ER to wait your turn, especially when you're in pain. Yeah, I mean, go look at the reviews for your local emergency room. I mean, if that doesn't
0: uh, epitomize where people are at with the relationship with their emergency care physicians, like what does?
2: Yeah,
1: I would assume that you feel, you know, depending on what's going on in your emergency room at any given moment, you're either frustrated that it took so long for you to get seen, you're frustrated that your physician... Uh, that your emergency room physician has a certain view of you and what got you into that emergency room in the first place you're frustrated with your the circumstances of your life you're vulnerable defensive that guy that guy that brought you to the emergency room in the first place you know
0: you've been struggling to get into this emergency room for the last yeah. seven hours and mm. you're getting frustrated and you're feeling like you have to advocate for your care mm. to the point of
1: or even physical <laughs> ad- yeah even less physical thoughtful. advocacy <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that implies I'm a, a level of thoughtfulness that may not be the case for that patient. Like, I'm here to advocate for myself. And like, Dude, yeah, no, I broke my arm
0: and I'm pissed I, off and I'm going to f it up. Yeah, basically. Okay.
2: Yeah, that's a tough specialty, though. It sounds yeah. really sounds really hard, combined with not being able to sleep and switching around your schedule a ton. And I don't know how you, I, I know
1: emergency room physicians who love their work. Yeah. Um, well, it's shift just, work,
2: right? You don't bring a pager home. That's awesome. And that's awesome. But you're I don't six know how hours you, a
1: week is full time. I I just don't know how you switch gears so often and and remain sane. A,
2: yeah, that'd be tough.
3: I think you you have the right to feel safe at your workplace. Mm-hmm. I, I guess in like except for like extreme circumstances. I don't know if you're like a
1: if you're like a soldier or something. Yeah, yeah. or like a
3: if you like. I don't know where this came to my head, but, like, if you, like, organize, like, those, like, bungee jumping things. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, or, like, if you're a skydiver, like, okay, I get it. But, like, but in, right. in the majority of workplaces... I don't feel safe! <laughs> the,
0: the Red Bull guy who jumped from space, like, I have the right to feel danger.
3: <laughs> <laughs> if, you're not that, if you're not that guy, you, you should be able to feel safe in your workplace. So, like, I don't want to... There, there has to be some element that's missing that's not making these EDs safe. But then again, like insecurity. need security. Yeah, but even then, like if I walk into the ED and as a patient, and there's like a ton of police around me, I'm yeah, not gonna feel safe either. So, like there's going to be an emotional. Yeah, you're going to think, why there.
1: are there police around me?
0: Why are yeah. exactly? Like
3: yeah. That. yeah. Still, and if though, you're, if am I a
0: dangerous person? And if it's, it's like put the armed militia and high V. It's like okay, yeah, well, sure. like, yeah we or like SWAT should. officers in schools. You're trying, yeah. yeah, you're trying to buy yeah. your album. What, what is
1: this armed militia and high V business?
3: That's happening. Last, last year
0: they started putting armed cops in high V. Wait, what? It, I and was just like, joking. Oh, no, that's, that, real. that's real. Why? I haven't noticed. Why? Loss prevention.
3: <laughs> of no, seriously. What? Like, like,
0: you go to high V. Like there is somebody with like a bulletproof vest That's who's insane. Armed, and they're, they're basically dressed up like a cop, but they have a high V badge on. What? No, I'm serious. I'm
1: gonna have to open my eyes a little.
3: One yeah, we pay attention. Yes. It's crazy. That is crazy. So I, and I don't know, do you think it makes V safer? No. Do you I think would,
0: it makes our ED safer?
3: I, I mean, especially if you're someone who's
1: I think there's a re, you, you can I I guess there's a way to respond to the violence then. I think
3: Yeah, but yeah. I can't think, think of a, of a way that would I don't yeah, know if it help. prevents Is it
2: a deterrent? I feel like it would be if somebody was getting pissed and there's a big security guard, like even if they wouldn't have guns or anything, like, I don't know, some sort of security would be nice for some of these workers. Like, that's not one of the inherent risk part of the jobs that you think about when you take the job is getting beat up by one of your patients, right? You think about maybe getting a transmissible disease via blood infection or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. That's much more realistic. There are realistic things and then there are things you're like,
1: what the hell's going on?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: I don't know. I was I watched that video and I got a little depressed and I was like, I'm going to share it with friends.
3: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be
1: honest with you, Dave. You're like lead up to that. I thought you were going to
0: make a joke and then you played that video and I was like, oh man, I hope that camera didn't see me laughing right before this.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you noticed Alex laughing, it wasn't because he's a bastard.
2: Yeah, I totally didn't know he was going to play that video. So full disclosure. Yeah, He doesn't like EM docs.
3: I can't believe there's security guards in Hyvee. Yeah. That's insane.
2: Well, that's our show. Uh, Alex Hind,
1: Eric, thanks for being on the show with me today.
3: Thank you, Dave.
1: Thanks. Love you. And what? Oh, and what kind of selfish, pessimistic, irresponsible, and rudderless person would I be if I didn't thank you, short coats, for making us a part of your week? If you're new here and you like what you heard today, follow the show wherever fine podcasts are available, like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube. I don't know if i can say google podcasts anymore because i think they're phasing out google podcasts and moving things into google music or something like that anyway today's episode was produced by yours truly the show is made possible by a generous donation by carver college of medicine student government and ongoing support from the writing and humanities program our music is by dr fox and catmosphere i'm dave etler saying don't let the bastards get you down talk to you in one week